0: Hello and welcome to Flunking the Written, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast in which two uber fans discuss their favorite show episode by episode, scene by scene. I'm Megan. And I'm Kimberly. And before we get started, we want all of our listeners to know that this is a fully spoiled
1: podcast. That means at any point during our discussion, we may discuss any part of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spinoff Angel.
0: So if you haven't watched both shows yet and are sensitive to spoilers, go catch up on some of the greatest television ever created and come back here when you're done. With that out of the
1: way, let's get right into our discussion of Episodes 1 and 2 of Buffy. Welcome to the Hellmouth and the Harvest.
0: All right, Kimberly, I'm super, super excited to get this podcast going. Me too. I watched both episodes last night, and I think you watched them today, didn't you? Yeah, I watched them earlier today. All right, Just so they're, they're fresher. Yeah, they're very fresh on our minds. Um, so here's the thing. I always consider Buffy the Vampire Slayer to be kind of timeless television, except for season one, which is as 90s as 90s gets.
1: It It is very, very dated. The clothes, the language, everything is very, very 90s.
0: Yeah, and... Um, I don't know, like I I get super nostalgic. I I call myself a 90s kid. I was born in 1990, so like not the not the typical like adolescence and teen years that you kind of think shape your your adulthood was spent in the 90s, but for me like there's so much nostalgia I have for the 90s and possibly because I had older siblings that grew up in the 90s a lot, so I got a lot of hand-me-downs that were 90s-oriented, and I watched a lot of shows from the 90s. So I relate to the 90s so much, and so it's always delightful to watch this first season and just get that little glimpse of what, what Buffy was like starting out, because it changes quite dramatically after this first season, and I don't think it dates itself quite as bad as this first season does.
1: No, it doesn't. It gets uh, the clothes and language and stuff kind of get more classic in the later seasons. Yeah. Where they can maybe be dropped into a a more wide variety of time. But, Mm -hmm. yes, this first season is definitely late 90s.
0: (laughs) All right. So we're going to start with our discussion of Welcome to the Hellmouth. And, of course, the very first scene, the cold open with Darla and her victim, I, I guess you would say, entering the school, is perhaps one of my favorite scenes of all of Buffy, which is a strong thing to say for the first scene of the first episode, but I yes, really love is. this scene.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I really love it just because when they go in, the guy, the victim, he's, he's the pushy one. He's mm-hmm. like no, it's okay, we're fine. And Darla is like, are you sure this is okay? I heard something. Are we going to get in trouble? And he's like, no, it's fine. Come on, it's nothing. And so you think he's going to be the the bad guy vampire, you know, an attacker, and then all of a sudden, it's her. Yeah. And so you're just kind of like, hey, ooh, yeah.
0: Yeah, it really sets the mission statement of the show overall, of this idea of don't... Discount the cute little blonde girl. Don't underestimate her.
1: Yeah, um, especially with Buffy being one of the cute little blonde girls. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that they are sneaking into the school, which happens over and over and over again during the series. Mm Mm-hmm. That school has no security at all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's almost always unlocked. Hey, we'll get there. They have a fence in the second episode that I'm pretty sure we never see again, but there is a fence. That doesn't yeah. do anything to stop Buffy, but we'll get there. it um, doesn't. And it's <laughs> wide open until <laughs> until Buffy. The principal sees her trying to leave. One of my greatest pleasures because we're gonna we're gonna discuss a little bit as we as we unfold on this podcast of our experiences with the show originally, because you and I, we both have known each other to be huge Buffy fans for the longest time, but we've never gotten the opportunity to sit down and discuss Buffy the Vampire Slayer together in depth with all the specifics and and our our favorite bits and bobs but we both discussed a little while ago our original viewing order of Buffy and you started in season 2 and carried on from there and I started in season 6 and then kind of worked backwards so I watched the series originally like completely out of order so one of my greatest pleasures in life is watching reactor channels watch through the series for the first time with no context, with don't know anything about uh, any of the characters, and watch through it and get surprised at all of the twists and turns along the way, because I didn't get to experience that. And I yeah, will say... Those,
1: I, I like watching those too. Yeah,
0: they're so much fun. And I will say that this first scene never fails to surprise those reactors. And I think it's just, you know, 20 years later, 20 plus years later, and it's still working, it's still effective goes to show how well crafted this scene is that everybody is surprised when darla turns and has the vamp face on and i love that
1: well they just set everything up perfectly for it to be the guy she's with Mm -hmm. you know for him to be the vampire and then it's her yeah it's her it's it it, it just shocks everybody the first time
0: So once we get through this scene, we go through our opening credits with the original font that they used, um, which always reminds me when, that I'm watching an early season of Buffy because it's not the traditional Buffy the Vampire Slayer font. Um, and I will say this is how this is how deep I'm trying to go into this, but I think some of the sound effects that they like put over the track are different as well um, because I know in later seasons, there's a like almost like a whooshing sound that happens that I did not hear in this, but I always remember that whooshing sound because they use it mm-hmm. in later seasons with a clip of Tara like blowing magic dust and it's got that whooshing sound when she's blowing magic dust and it looks like it's matched up. And I don't think it's in this early version of the theme song. and I don't know how I noticed that this time around. I noticed a lot of weird things this time around because I was watching it very critically. Um, but I'm always nostalgic for that original font. That's just kind of the worst, but kind of the best.
1: I really like the uh, the little opener it does before the teaser. you know, shows have the little teaser and then they have the theme song and then they start the show. but mm-hmm. Buffy always had that little opening. It was only in the first season where you know, it had all the the old-fashioned books and stuff and was like it it said the uh, in one generation yeah. a slayer is born and then you know after the first season they didn't do that anymore
0: they may still do it in part of the second season because i know giles does it at one point they have tony head record it uh and this is definitely not tony head doing it but i don't know if he replaces it partway through the first season or if he does it some in the second season but it is kind of forgotten about at a certain point in the show but yeah that also like there's just certain things that make me remember that i'm watching early seasons of buffy the buffy font the fact that it's very dated. And the fact that you have that little extra flourish of an opener before the show starts proper. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those.
1: The next scene, it, it cuts to Buffy in her bed, you know, dreaming.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, one of her Slayer dreams, which is kind of a theme throughout the entire season. Yeah. Uh, for Buffy and at some sometimes for the other characters. But always for Buffy, they even have several. I know I can think of at least two. I think there's only two. There might be three episodes that are just completely based around dreams
0: yeah dreams are big in in so, buffy the interesting thing about this dream sequence is because they had the entire first season recorded before it aired it's clips throughout the entire season so she's basically getting the next several months of her life in flashes which uh, is not that makes more sense yeah than some of the other dreams. It's not horribly convenient to try to figure out exactly what the dream means because it's just a whole bunch of flashes of her future. Um, I could imagine that as dreams get uh, go on in the series and get more specific that that might be a little easier to decode than a whole bunch of flashes. But I do like the effect of this. I do like all of the little teases for what's to come. And then, of course, she's woken up and told that it's time for school. And Joyce... Who I always forget is not named until several episodes into the series, but Buffy's mom um, takes her to school and drops her off and, le- and leaves her with the lovely line of "try, Try not, not to, to get, get kicked get out." Kicked
1: out. <laughs> yes. I love that part. It's like, "Have a good
0: day. I know you'll make friends right away. Try not to get kicked out." Yeah, and it's just like the delivery is just like. I know I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm really nervous.
1: (laughs) Which is kind of a nod to the original movie, the Buffy, the Vampire Slayer movie in the 80s, which is much more campy and Mm -hmm. sillier than the actual show, but which the show is based on.
0: Yeah, and its I will say there is definitely um things in the first season that make me think of the Buffy movie um some of which are in my notes for these episodes so we'll we'll get to those Mm -hmm. but yeah I I think my thing about Joyce and I'll discuss this a little bit as we as we go through but a lot of people don't like Joyce um in these early seasons they think that she's a bad mom um I always see her as a mom who's really really trying hard maybe in the past and if you kind of look at the movie it fits this line maybe in the past didn't necessarily um prioritize buffy the way she is now um yeah and because of that she doesn't really know how to be a mom as far as when to discipline what to say what what's What's the proper etiquette? And things like that. But any mother makes mistakes. I mean, there's never been anything that I've seen Joyce do that I haven't seen mothers in much worse or much, uh, like, better circumstances. I mean, Joyce is dealing with a slayer as a kid, and she doesn't even know it for the first bit of it. So she's just dealing with a kid that she thinks is a delinquent, and she can't figure out why.
1: Yeah, and she... She mentions multiple times during the first two seasons the parenting books. that.
0: Oh, yeah. I had made several notes about that. She's trying. Wants to do
1: a good job. I've never actually thought that she was a a bad mother. And she's always been one of my favorite characters. Especially later once she knows that Buffy is the Slayer. Mm -hmm. I always thought maybe in the first couple of seasons she's just kind of oblivious to a lot of Buffy's life. Which they kind of had to do. Otherwise... How are you going to do do the show? that she didn't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think that's the thing is that maybe previously she... uh, I don't want to use neglect because I don't really think that that's the right word. But she didn't pay as much attention to what was going on in Buffy's life as she did until after Buffy had all of her um, transgressions that led to her being kicked out of her previous school. Um, And so... She's trying to learn more about Buffy, but it's not necessarily her natural state, especially considering she is a working mom, a working single mom now, and Mm -hmm. really focuses a lot of time and energy on her job. That's one thing that you'll see about Joyce is that she is one who is passionate about her work and is always working, so. Yes. We get our introduction of Xander on a skateboard which we never see him ride again. Um, And then we get... I I thought that when I was watching it this
1: morning. I was like, you know, he never has that skateboard No,
0: I think in the commentary, Joss Whedon even says, yeah, we did this, and it turns out that that was super expensive, and we didn't really have the money to continue to do that. So they may have him carry it around a couple of times, but he never actually rides it again. And we get the introduction of Willow and Jesse who is played by Eric Balfour, um, who, honestly, I, I really enjoy Jesse, and I think he is the biggest misstep in the first season. Not that he died, but that he is just ignored after these first two episodes. Um, but I really like Jesse. Yeah,
1: <laughs> the, yeah for some...
0: For, well, we'll get to that. Yeah, the, we'll get to that for top. sure. But yeah. it is a... It, It's a natural, like, flowing thing. Already we're seeing a lot of chemistry between these characters and a lot of past between these characters. And I like the way that it kind of flows into the school building um, where Xander wipes out, sees Willow, and then they walk into the school and run into Jesse. And it's there's a lot of movement on this show, um, and especially considering how small of a set that they were working with in this first uh, season. And Mm -hmm. it's... It's tiny. They have like a little L hallway, I think, that they just kept reshooting on. Um, but they managed to make a lot of movement going on. But yeah, we'll get into uh, uh, Principal Flutie and, and Buffy meeting for the first time in Flutie's office. So what? what's your thoughts on this scene? Well, this is the scene where he,
1: he's telling Buffy, it doesn't matter what you did in your last school. You can completely start over here and ha- have a clean slate. She's all, all, you know, you can tell she's happy about that. And then he... Actually, looks down at her records and was like, "You burned down the gym," <laughs> and that part's oh, was just like whoa. whoa. Especially for people <laughs> who are watching this, who had seen the movie, because that's not in the movie. Mm-hmm. It was part of the original script for the movie, and then they took it out, and then Josh Whedon went ahead and used that part uh, in the first episode. Yeah. Which I guess if you'd watch both, you could have just assumed that's something that happened in between.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's not a there's a there's a certain amount of understanding the 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 things of the movie that Joss just decided to ignore flat out, um, and the things he decided to pull from. And I think it's mostly because his original script was re- that way, and so he pulled from his script and not the movie. Um, but yeah, I I'm just gonna say right now. I love Principal Flutie so much.
1: <laughs> yes, he is wonderful.
0: <laughs> he is perhaps the most delightful of of principals that I've ever seen on any any TV. Um, and uh, he's played by uh, Ken Learner, and just does a phenomenal job with very few scenes. But, like, is actually a pretty well-established character by the time he meets his demise. And my favorite part about this scene is the fact that when he tapes the record back together, you can look at that record and realize that it is completely taped the wrong way. Like, all of the jagged edges from where he tore it apart are on the outside. Like, he just kind of randomly tapes it back together and sticks it in the folder. And I freaking love that.
1: Yeah, and and then Buffy's <laughs> face when he's doing it, she's just she has the best face. Like, is is he really taping that? Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like wonderful. Oh, and Sarah, it's Mich- like
1: shock and horror at uh-huh. the same time.
0: Sarah Michelle Gellar has so many great faces in this of just being uncomfortable this entire episode because um, she she plays the new girl really well and she just doesn't know how to deal with anybody. Going a little deeper into this scene, I think what this scene really does nicely is show that Buffy can't escape her past, which is something she's very much trying to do in this episode. She doesn't want to be the Slayer anymore. She's done with that. She wants to move on, and the world isn't going to allow her to do so.
1: Oh, yeah. I have several notes about that later on in this episode.
0: Yeah. So this is the first real occurrence of that that I've seen. Yeah. So yeah, she exits the office and then immediately bumps into people, dropping all of her contents of her purse, and Xander comes to the rescue to ask if he can have her. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe a bit of a Freudian slip there. Um, But this is where we first get uh, Xander named, and uh, I guess we could technically classify this as a meet-cute, depending on your feelings on Buffy and Xander. But it is very apparent from the very beginning how much Xander is into Buffy like they're not oh, yes. they're not even trying to be subtle about it, and Buffy kind of seems stu- oblivious
1: <laughs> yeah very
0: very much stumbling over his words, well, ah. the beautiful delivery that Nicholas Brennan gives to uh maybe we'll see each other around. Maybe at school because we both. And then he pauses, and you could just see how much he's just in pain. And, and then he says, has to finish
1: that sentence. Go yeah. there.
0: <laughs> he's just like, "Why did I? Why am I saying this?" And it's just a yeah. lovely delivery.
1: And then she walks off and leaves her steak laying in the floor,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which Xander picks up. Which is kind of interesting because he's he's the first one to find out who she is like her secret identity and then is also later the first one to believe her yeah about it
0: and i i mean i feel like i would pick up a sharpened stick and be like oh that's a stake but i've watched buffy the, my entire life i'm not sure if like at that time vampires were so big that any time you picked up any kind of sharpened piece of wood you would automatically go to stake but he calls it for what it is and is immediately aware that something's fishy. But uh it does show again that even though Buffy is trying to move on from her past, she's still aware of what's out there and is trying and to protect herself. Yeah. Carry the tools yeah. of the trade kind of stuff. And then she goes into class and learns about the Black Death. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh-huh. the teacher is really excited, I noticed, about the Black Death.
0: Yeah. Like, she kept saying
1: about this exciting plague and this uh, wonderful social phenomenon and stuff. And I'm like, you are way happy about the Black Death.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teaching yeah. this, you know. It's, um. hey, you gotta... I, I appreciate a teacher who is enthusiastic about their curriculum. But yeah, it does seem like maybe a little tone deaf and... I've watched this episode many a times, and I have some different interpretations on why we're learning about the, the Black Plague in this episode, but I've never really been for sure on what the point of having this particular lesson in this episode was. Um, I don't know if you've gotten any reads or any insight onto why they're learning about the the plague. Not really. <laughs> what What is yours? So... We'll, we'll get to it towards the end of the episode, but initially when I watched, I thought, okay, well, this is, this is the idea of a plague on humanity, and so you think of vampires being a plague on humanity, but then, as we learn more about the mythos surrounding this world, it may actually be the reverse that could also be pulled from this lesson of this idea that humanity is a plague on demons, because demons were technically here first. And this is something that is established very early on um, in the Buffyverse, and I think people forget about. Like, there's a lot of mythology in these first couple of episodes, and I think a lot of people don't remember how much world-building there is right out the gate. Okay, so from here, we go uh, on a lovely walk and talk with Cordelia and Buffy with Cordelia ch- checking to see how cool she is. Yeah. Got to see yeah. how cool Buffy is. She can skip the written, which is lovely because Buffy's been She's known to f- flunk written, so. Um yeah. <laughs> Cordelia is so from the very beginning, she is so that character so perfectly. We're going to talk about Cordelia a lot through this journey cuz she is absolutely oh, one yes. of my favorites but she she is perfect at who she is oh she's so good in these episodes and there are so many little moments but i really love um that she sees buffy as someone that could be cool and then immediately when buffy decides that she's gonna hang out with willow and xander and jesse she's like nope that's not cool anymore the hierarchy is very important to cordelia And I I, I love that um, we have this this moment during this walk and talk, which, by the way, all I want to do during this scene is look at the background actors and the 90s fashion. There's so much Paisley everywhere. Um, And so anytime I rewatch this episode, I always just watch the background actors because it's just so fun to see how garish those outfits are. Um... But we get to uh, Cordelia meeting up with Willow at the water fountain and the iconic outfit that Willow is wearing. Her softer side of Sears outfit, which I adore. Yes. She's adorable. It was very cute. She's so precious and I love her so much. And this is the point where everybody just starts being on Team Willow, I think. I mean, it, do- it oh, she's yeah, had definitely. two scenes very minimal scenes at this point and everybody is already in love with Willow because it's just that character is so lovable. And that includes Buffy. Like I think Buffy's pretty much in love with Willow at this point. It doesn't take much.
1: <laughs> yes, because like in a a, a later scene, she ought to, she gravitates toward Willow and like seeks her out to be friends with her, even though she had met Cordelia first and seemed to like Cordelia. Mm-hmm. But then seeks out Willow. And, you know, she had to know that both these things couldn't really happen. For sure. Especially when back in L.A., Buffy was more like Cordelia than Willow.
0: Yeah, she would know. She would know if she was wanting to be in the ranks of Cordelia, she couldn't also be friends with Willow. Because she understands that hierarchy.
1: She almost immediately seeks Willow out to be friends with her. So, yeah, you can tell she's immediately on Willow's side.
0: Well, and speaking, you mentioned back in Flutie's office of Buffy being uncomfortable and, like, awkward. This scene, Sarah does a great job of, like, kind of giving that smile and nod of approval to Cordelia. But also, like, showing that she is not cool with what just went down between Cordelia and Willow. And it's just super uncomfortable about all of it. And I think that's part of the realization that she goes through in these early seasons of just like, I'm not that person anymore. I can't just do that to someone.
1: Yeah. Just she's been through so much. It's just, it's different now. So, and then Cordelia takes her to the library so she can check out a book. Mm-hmm. And I got very excited about this <laughs> because you see the library for the first time yeah. and so much happens in that library. <laughs> and like, when it when it panned out and you could see the library with the little table and stuff I was like, ah!
0: Yeah, I, I, in my notes I said I want this set in my house. I love the library set so much. I
1: and, would love to recreate that in my house.
0: Oh yeah, that's. I'm a, not sure Adam would let. Me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just something, something a little side project you got to do at some point. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I love that set so much. It's probably my favorite set in the entire show, and it's here. We're in it. And Buffy wanders in to this creepy library and immediately finds a newspaper with the headline, Local Boy Still Missing, circled in red. Like just a giant red circle left out in the open. So Buffy's not in the the greatest of uh, mindsets when she first meets Giles. But to be fair, Giles is kind of not very good at doing his job in this, uh, in this first episode. We'll get into this more, especially later on when we meet Wesley and everybody's like, oh, Wesley's so terrible at this. But Giles is so not very good at his job at the very beginning. He has no well, chill.
1: <laughs> he's not, but I don't think we can compare him to Wesley.
0: Oh, I don't know. Because he goes from literally being like, oh, I have to say I'm the librarian... Because I can't come on too strong, but immediately I'm going to pull out my giant vampire book and place it in front of her with a giant goofy grin on my face. That's the that's season one Giles for you, and that's pretty yeah, and strong. <laughs> I think that is because Giles is, and you don't you wouldn't realize this if this
1: was the first episode you'd seen, but I think it's because Giles is expecting her to be like all the other Slayers. And be thrilled. Like, he he really thinks this is Buffy and she's my Slayer and she's the new girl. And she just came to find me the morning of her first day. And that she's going to be just as excited about him as oh, vampires. Let's get them. Yeah. Because, and let's train and let's do all this. And Giles, who's been, you know, trained his whole career to have a Slayer like that, is now has Buffy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you can tell from his face when he brings out the big giant vampire book, and she's like, "No, that's not what I'm looking for." And he goes, "Are you Are you sure?" And she's like, "No," and she leaves. And he's like, "My mistake." And you yeah. can see his face; he's just like, "He certainly, confused.
0: yeah, he, he has c- no idea." Certainly, what, learns faster than Wesley did. Like oh, he yes, learns definitely. quickly out on the field. He understands what What's the difference? Uh, but I think it goes to show more about the Watchers Council in general and how it trains their Watchers to be when they first meet a Slayer, is to be enthusiastic and excited about this thing that is really awful for these young girls. Like, they're in a terrible situation. <laughs> and, but
1: most most of the... Like, we meet two other Slayers during the seasons, um, and they they're they're like that they're like ooh, vampires that's all i want to do is kill vampires Mm -hmm. you know both of them even though they're very very different girls and i just think it's it's giles is just like he does not know what to do with this situation having a slayer who is reluctant to be a slayer
0: yeah and maybe maybe all the other slayers are gung-ho but i can't imagine that they've all been gung-ho over the years but we'll we'll uh We'll we'll further analyze that as we meet some of the other Slayers, I'm sure, because you're right. Again, we meet both of them a little bit further into their careers, so you don't mm. know for sure what their initial gut reaction was. But yeah. at the same time, Buffy here has already been the Slayer, so... It is very possible that Giles was just like, "Yeah, she should, she should be into this. She should be excited to get back to slaying." But Buffy just pieces out, "She's done. She don't want to do that."
1: Yeah, and I think he does a really good job of communicating that he doesn't understand, he he doesn't get it, why she's saying no. Like, this is our job. This is your destiny. Why are you fighting this?
0: Yeah, he's very, he's very gung-ho, but learns very quickly um, and shows that he's confused and, and not necessarily seeing things from the point of view of a, of a 16-year-old girl, which probably yes. makes sense that he wouldn't see yes. that point of view. So then we have a very brief locker scene with the lovely um, Aphrodisia, who makes fun of Buffy's name, um, and the reveal of the fact that Darla's victim was, in fact, uh, shoved in a random locker... ...as Darla is known to do, I guess. That's that's mm-hmm. the way to dispose of a body, according to Darla. Yeah, that that's just a real quick uh, glimpse into uh, what it's like to go to high school at Sunnydale High. Because mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, that happens very frequently at this school. Oh. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, finding random dead guys is a common occurrence, as we'll get into in the very next scene... ...which is my favorite scene of these first two episodes... Which is, like we talked about, when when Buffy approaches Willow out in the schoolyard. And it's just yes. like, hey, can you help me? You seem like a good person, and I need that mm-hmm. in my life. And is, yep. in fact, the first of her peers that Buffy approaches. Everybody else approaches Buffy.
1: Approach her, yeah. Yeah. She, so, she saw very deliberately seeks out Willow. Yeah, and they, they talk about homework for a little bit, and then talk about the library and Buffy immediately goes into ah uh, yeah not the library I don't really like the library
0: yeah and there is a lovely and- there is a lovely line here. Where Buffy's like, that place kind of gives me the Wiggins, and Willow's like, oh, it has that effect on most kids. Which I think is a really great way to explain why there's never any other kids in the library for the entire series. (laughs) Everybody's creeped out by the library. It's just a creepy place. It is a creepy library. And nobody wants to go there. So we can use it for all of our private training and, and Scooby sessions and don't have to worry about it.
1: Yeah, and then she finds out from Willow that Giles is the new librarian. Yeah, He just arrived, too, at the same time she did. Very much so. Also. Yeah, and you can tell she thinks about this like, uh-oh.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's like, yep, this is, they're taking over my life again. Um, also, uh, I love that Willow thinks Giles is really cool. <laughs> that makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it says way more about Willow than it does about the than it does about Giles for sure.
1: <laughs> oh well I love Giles. He's he's one of my favorite characters throughout the entire series.
0: Yes. And Giles is in fact really cool, but has not displayed has himself not shown that yet. displayed himself to be a cool dude yet. He is he is really cool in Willow's eyes because he is smart and knows a lot of stuff about books, and that's really cool for Willow. And again, something that makes Willow very endearing. So then we have, um, Xander and Jesse show up, and Xander, while saying he's interrupting, like, inserts himself physically between Willow and Buffy, uh, again, and Sarah does some, like, great, like, I'm super uncomfortable acting, which I love, but I think that dynamic is so established right out the gate. Of the weird kind of love triangle that exists. And the fact that Xander just literally inserts himself between those two in that scene. Is just mm-hmm. a great visual aid for that. Because there's a lot of that in the first couple of seasons of Buffy. With those yes. three.
1: And they talk in ban for a little while. And Xander asks her about the stake.
0: He does. He brings it out. And asks about the little fence uh, mm-hmm. that she's building. Um, <laughs> which, is, which is delightful. Um, I love Xander's reasoning in that. And and Buffy has a good cover-up. Like, she's, she's snappy on that. She knows what she's doing.
1: Pepper spray is so passe. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, obviously.
1: She's got her answer.
0: This is probably one of the scenes where I just, like, I don't know. I know a lot of people don't really care at all about Jesse. But for me, there's a line in this scene that makes me really appreciate Jesse's dry humor. Because I feel like this line could really be read as mocking Xander. And that's how I choose to read it. May not have been the intent, but that's how I choose to read it. But right after Xander is just like, so what do you do? What do you like? What do you you want to look for in a man? All that like, just like is so overbearing towards Buffy. Jesse just gives the driest line reading of if you have any dark, painful secrets you'd like us to publish. And it really feels like that is more of a mocking towards Xander than it is a legitimate thing he's trying to ask for. Yes. And it's just it's yeah. it it's such a dry reading that I feel like most people around Jesse probably don't understand his humor, which is probably part of the reason why Jesse has trouble making friends is because he has a, a sense of humor that's sometimes hard to read, and I just love him for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I and mean, then Cordelia shows up, I'm all excited with the gossip that Cora found a dead guy in his lo- in her locker.
0: Mm-hmm. Cancels Jim. Doesn't do anything for the rest of the school because. But it it canceled Jim. Canceled Jim.
1: (laughs) And this this, this scene is where Buffy has her first weird moment. Okay. The first moment when the other kids kind of. What's up with her? Uh huh.
0: What's her deal? Yeah. Like, what's going on? Because. Everyone else is
1: just like, oh, dead guy. But Buffy starts asking questions like, were there any marks? How mm-hmm. did he die? You know? And everybody's like, ooh, we don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's immediate for her, too. Like, yeah, I, this like automatically, I need to find out how this guy died. There's also, I think, a lovely elegance to the the, the way the show sums up Cordelia and Jesse's relationship so quickly. With just Jesse standing up and saying, hey, Cordelia, and Cordelia replying with, oh, please. Um, (laughs) It's just immediate. Like, you understand how those two communicate and what their relationship is. But yeah, like, Buffy is on the scene uh, immediately. She goes right to the locker room and forces her way through the door rather easily, just tearing it to shreds. Um, Yes. Oh, I find it odd that the body is still there. Yeah, there's a lot of that in Buffy. Mm. The police aren't very good. No. So there's a lot of that of just bodies being left for people to go and examine or police not showing up to places where police should obviously be. Um, You just kind of accept that when you're watching Buffy. (laughs) The same way that you... Sunnydale. Yeah, the same way that you accept that people would be this freaked out over a new student... But not even bother to shut down school for a dead guy shoved in a locker. Uh, you just kind of have to accept the right. random priorities of Sunnydale High. <laughs> yes, because like e- any
1: other school would, would like cancel classes for the rest of the day. And, you know, possibly have grief counselors. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they canceled gym.
0: Yeah, they canceled gym.
1: <laughs> it's gym. Yeah.
0: Just gym. <laughs> ah, so a little note that I noticed is when Buffy breaks open that door, there's a poster on the other side that says cheerleader tryouts. And I want to say it says this week, but I couldn't read it all. But it's a cheerleader tryout sign, which I thought was very cool. Nice. Because the the third episode after this two-parter is about cheerleader tryouts. So I thought that that was a cool little tie-in there. Yes. And then, of course, once Buffy figures out what's going on, she immediately returns to Giles, which I adore.
1: And and she's surprised. She's so surprised that vampires followed her. Uh-huh. Which they really didn't. She just kind of moved to a place where they are, more of them. But she, you know... I wasn't worried about this. I was worried about making friends. I was worried about having last week's hair. I was, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't worried about vampires. I thought I was leaving all that. And surprise, she's moved to the place where it will never end.
0: Yeah. And it like Giles picks up on that immediately. He's just like, there's a reason you came here. It's not because your mom chose to move here. It's because it's fate. Like he really believes that.
1: And then we we see Giles again Kind of like, how do you not want to be a slayer? Mm -hmm. Is what he's thinking when he's, you know, all excited and telling her she's the chosen one. And she's like, I know.
0: This scene is entirely exposition. It does a lot of info dumping. Explains how vampire siren works. It explains a little bit about what a watcher is. It does just a lot of stuff explaining why Sunnydale is the way Sunnydale is. But it's got so much movement, it's got great humor, and of course it ends on that really nice serious note where Buffy just lays it out of why she is the way she is and why she doesn't want to be the Slayer anymore. And Giles Mm -hmm. responds to that and it makes this exposition scene, a fairly long exposition scene, flow really well and really nicely. And it's hard to do that with an exposition scene.
1: And then when it's over, we see Xander And he heard all of that. Okay, so the new girl and the librarian are both insane. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Clearly. Giles doesn't give up. He follows Buffy out into the hall. And Buffy's just not convinced that Sunnydale could be really anywhere near as bad as Giles is making it out to be. But then you have this lovely transition, which is used multiple times in the first season, where it goes from the school and immediately transitions down to the vampire's lair. Which, of course, one, shows the fact that maybe the Hellmouth is closer to the school than, than you think. But also, the deeper metaphor of high school is hell is very apparent in all of these transitions. Where they specifically go from the school to a literal hellscape of vampires underground and gothic and blood everywhere and it's just it's something that they return to again and again i really appreciate again that visual cue of this is what this show is about
1: yeah and we we learn of our first evil plot of ruin there will be lots of those but we learn about the first one in this scene
0: yeah the sleeper will wake i think one of my favorite parts about this is that i come to this weird underground Gothic lair of the sunken church and I look at that and I'm just like it's so funny that this is where Buffy started because Buffy definitely gets to a point where it mocks this kind of vampire lore like it Mm -hmm. really rejects this idea pretty hard in the second season And there are times where, I think over in Angel, where they have flashbacks, where Angelus in the past has actually mocked the Master for the fact that he lives underground and stuff like that. Like, he just calls him out on it and says, nope, this is awful. You should live above ground, where there's comfy beds and lots of people to eat. Um, Yes, but
1: the Master is very much a traditionalist. He
0: is! Yeah, it's a very quick scene. We go to the lair. We have Luke chanting... Um, and then we come right out of that and back into Buffy's room where she is picking out her clothes to go to a club on, I assume, a Thursday night based on the way that the days are arranged here. So definitely a school night. And this, Which again, is not really an issue in Buffy. Yeah, it doesn't, re- doesn't really, yeah. like, I know a lot of people watch this and they're like, a high schooler going to a club. Now I know high schoolers went to what is the equivalent of a club in my area, while I was in high school. Like, I know people who were like that. But they didn't go to it on a school night. <laughs>
1: no, no.
0: It didn't, um, it didn't really happen. Which is interesting because it always talks about what a small
1: town but Sunnydale is. Mm-hmm. To, and it, it's... it's you get The impression it's, like, too small to have something like that. So Sunny- they have to have a place for the, the kids to hang out, I guess, yeah. besides the library.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and Sunnydale doesn't really make sense when you break it down. I actually, in this because it is mentioned several times, but I did look up the population for Sunnydale, uh, and according to Wikipedia, um, during the first three seasons, Sunnydale is shown to have 38,500 inhabitants, very few high schools, 43 churches, a small private college, a zoo, a museum, and one modest main street. Even so, it has 12 Gothic cemeteries. <laughs> uh, so Sunnydale is not, does not conform to norms city <laughs> no, no the city planner got fired and then they hired a worse city planner um <laughs> yes. i love the bronze and so i don't care i'll just say yeah this is a club that exists that high schoolers can go to whenever they want because the bronze is fun but here's another case yeah. of joyce saying that yeah I've, I've read all about the dangers of over nurturing so you can see that yes. Not only is she reading all the materials, but she's reading conflicting materials as well through these first episodes. Because at points she's just like, oh, I can't over-nurture. At other points she's like, oh, I have to say no. And like all of these things that don't necessarily always work together. Um, right, yeah. And but the so, say no
1: part is a little later later in the episode. But yeah, she's she's just reading all the parenting styles and trying to do them all at
0: once. Yeah, she's just trying to be all of all of the different parenting styles at once and it's really just a mess. But yeah. um but yeah. this is one of the first times that we see
1: Buffy pre- kind of protecting her mother from everything. Uh-huh. Cuz in a lot of ways Buffy kind of not really the grown-up or anything, but she has to shield her mom from a lot of stuff that she thinks her mom can't handle cuz her mom's so positive and Buffy doesn't want to you know bring her down so she's just like yeah everything's great you know vampires didn't follow me here mm-hmm. i keep saying that because that's what it felt probably feels like to buffy even though that's not the case she showed you know she came where they were
0: yeah and it is implied later on that no matter where she went vampires would be part of her life Um, but she is, yeah, she feels like that, right? She feels like she was running away. She was escaping this and it's here, uh, in, in the, in the forefront of her life again. And with that being said, let's go to the next scene, which I like to call Angel Alley. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, where you
1: think, you think a bad guy's following her. Yeah. And about to get her.
0: Which again, big mission statement of the show is like this idea of the, the helpless blonde, going into a dark alley and being chased by the bad guy and instead turns the tables and takes the bad guy out. As much as I love that scene thematically, you kind of have to wonder, it's like, what if that was just some random dude? And what if he wasn't actually following her? (laughs) That's an aggressive first move from Buffy. (laughs) Yeah, true. I think
1: she kind of knew he was following her. Yeah.
0: So we get our introduction of Angel, who is unnamed at this point. He's here. First season Angel, I'm going to be honest is not my favorite version of Angel. They really can't figure him out yet. (laughs) Yeah, and
1: in the first season, he's so melodramatic.
0: Oh, yeah. It's just
1: kind of like, okay.
0: (laughs) One of his opening statements to Buffy is that he wants to kill them. He wants to kill them all. And I'm just like, woo, you are coming on strong, sir. Yeah, but that, you know, again, that's a point where Angel, who
1: has had, you know, some contact with Slayers and stuff in the past thinks because she's a Slayer, she's going to be all, I hate vampires, I want to kill them all, and stuff. And she's like, no, leave me alone.
0: Yeah. Like, there's an expectation of what the Slayer is, and Buffy is defying all of those expectations.
1: Yeah, because here's the second person that's like, you're supposed to be like this. And she's like, yep, no, I'm going to go to the club now. And then, you know, she says that, and Angel just flat out, that's not an option. Like, you, you do not have a choice. He flat out tells her.
0: Yeah. You're on the well, mouth of hell, babe. <laughs> no. And then he, he gives her the,
1: the silver cross necklace. And mm-hmm. she wears this necklace through, I think, throughout the rest of the series.
0: I don't know when's the last time we see her with that necklace on. but I'm not sure either, but I know even
1: even after he's left the show, like it still shows her wear it sometimes.
0: Yeah, I imagine it's something that she still holds on to for sure. And is definitely an uh, effective weapon as well. I mean, I, as, a, as a slayer, I would be decked out in all kinds of crosses for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, More yeah. than just that one. <laughs> Dead big crosses
1: all over me. <laughs> have them tattooed on me. I do yeah. that would work. <laughs> but if it did, I'd have them everywhere. So she walks in and it gets pointed out that she's a new girl again because she thinks someone's waving at her. And she gets all excited and waves back. And then it's not her. It's the guy behind her. Okay. She's like, "Oh, oops! I'm gonna pretend I was messing with my hair."
0: So, yeah, I like that reading of this scene because this scene has always this like little awkward Buffy scene has always felt like kind of unnecessary to me. It does it does a couple of things, like you said, it points out that she's the new person. It points out that she's kind of out of her element, which I think works, but it also points out that like we find out in the conversation she's soon to have with Willow, that she kind of just will let things, you know, roll off her back. Like, she gets over that real quick, that awkwardness, mm-hmm. and is just willing to, like, seize that moment of, hey, maybe this, this guy's flagging me down, and then realizes, nope, that's not, that's not the case, oops. But yeah, it's always been, like, a weird scene to me. But I like that that reading of, of she's the new girl. I hadn't thought of that. I've always just thought of it just being like, oh, look at quirky Buffy. Isn't she relatable? Um, which it works on that level as well.
1: <laughs> and then she sees Willow. She's like, hey, somebody I know. Yeah. And joins Willow at the counter. bar. <laughs> the bar? <laughs> I mean not know they'd be sitting at the bar.
0: I mean, I mean later the bronze...
1: seasons when they're in yeah. college and stuff, it becomes a bar. But the bronze definitely it's counter.
0: serves alcohol, though, even at this point, because we see the vamp that Willow talks to have a glass of wine in his hand, so it's definitely, like, there, present, but I don't know if it's a separate bar that you have to go for for alcohol. I don't know. I'm thinking it's going to have to be, because we see Buffy go into the
1: bronze, and all she does is show an ID and keep walking. She doesn't get a handstand. No, there's no or bracelet.
0: everything about the bronze is inconsistent, but I just kind of assume that means that they have a lot of different managers over the course because I'm sure the life yes. expectancy of a manager at the bronze is pretty short. Um oh, definitely. <laughs> so I just kind of accept that the, the 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 way that the bronze is run changes constantly. And that just allows me to headcanon all of the inconsistencies.
1: (laughs) It's probably a life expectancy shorter than that of a Sunnydale High Principal.
0: Yeah. Which is is pretty short. Dang short. So, yeah. So, we have this convo with Willow and Buffy. And um, Willow says that she's there alone, but was hoping that Xander would be there. And Buffy asks if they went out. And she says, we used to, but we broke up. Because he stole my Barbie. And again, uh, Willow is just the most adorable person. And because she she actually still sounds annoyed. (laughs) Yeah. About him.
1: He stole my Barbie. (laughs)
0: Like Like, if they were going out today and that happened, she would break up again. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) And then tells Buffy that she doesn't really date guys because she can't talk to them or say anything. Anything that's cool or funny or at all. And mm-hmm. I always thought that that part was funny.
0: She definitely, um, like, immediately, as much as Xander is drawn to Buffy because he's attracted to her, Willow is also attracted in the way that she kind of wants to be like Buffy, a little bit more like Buffy. And so yeah. this idea of taking this advice that Buffy gives her, which isn't really very specific advice and not particularly good advice, but just takes it and bends it to whatever she thinks that advice means and immediately follows it. It just shows how much influence Buffy has just immediately. The presence of Buffy just affects mm-hmm. people around her.
1: Yes. <laughs> when Buffy tells her to seize the day because life is short and Willow decides to leave with a strange guy and go to a graveyard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because that seems like a safe thing to do in Sunnydale. and like, Willow's not new. Willow has lived in Sunnydale her whole life.
0: Yeah. I think they definitely retcon the fact that Sunnydale's kind of always been a terrible place to live more and more as the series progresses. Whereas this kind of feels like, oh, Sunnydale's a nice, wholesome, small town. And then all of a sudden right. vampires show up when Buffy shows up. But you're right. I mean, Buffy did not bring vampires with her. The vampires were always here and they kind of just ignore their existence um, and continue to make stupid decisions. And poor Willow is one of those Sunnydale residents that I guess ignored the vampire's existence for many, many years. Um. Yeah, well, I
1: think in some of the later episodes, they kind of talk about that where people can rationalize anything and then they kind of forget about it. Mm-hmm. So possibly Willow doesn't yeah. remember that Sunnydale is a really dangerous town.
0: I just assume there's but, like a cloud of like mystical energy that comes from the hell mouth that kind of fogs everybody up. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's maybe that's the explanation.
1: Although even in a normal town, she does kind of seize the day rather dangerously.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, without vampires being a thing, it's still, like, I'm gonna meet this random guy who's clearly much older than her because he is drinking wine. Uh, (laughs) And just go out with him. Um, At night. At night. By myself, without letting anyone know. (laughs) Yeah. And then take his shortcut. Oh, poor Willow. She's smarter than this. We know she's smarter than this, but... Yeah. Well, somebody had to be the victim in the in the first episode. You also get the line in the in the seizing the moment. You get the line from Buffy that tomorrow you might be dead. Which of course we know since we're fully spoiled that that's what this entire season is building towards is Buffy's death. And I yes. think that that's a nice little touch of foreshadowing for Buffy the fact that that well, is I what never, she's I moving didn't towards. Get that. Yeah, she's but,
1: yeah that makes sense.
0: She's, in fact, going to be dead at some point in this season. Um, yeah. Technically, a couple of points if you count nightmares when she gets vamped, but we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so Buffy spots Giles, who is very uncomfortable, and goes and yeah. checks in with him.
1: I'm like, why Why are you here with partying with the kids?
0: Tony Head does a great job of just being really awkward and uncomfortable in multiple stages, and I love his his physical acting. Um, and some of this it's just it's just really fun to watch but for for me this this first little snippet between buffy and giles warning that the harvest is coming and all of this uh sums down into two lines that i appreciate so much which is the fact that angel is gorgeous in an annoying sort of way and that buffy really doesn't like him
1: (laughs) yes i really didn't like him i love that part (laughs) yeah and In this scene, it really shows the difference between Buffy and previous Slayers and what they're usually like. Because Giles is talking about, are there vampires here? And she's Mm -hmm. like, probably, I don't know. And he says, but you're the Slayer, you should know. And he he wants her to use her senses and reach out and see if there's any vampires. And she just like, there's one. Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, how do you know? And she's like, oh, look at those clothes. You know, only someone who's a vampire and living underground would think those were still in style. And Giles is just like, you can see the frustration <laughs> on his face that he has with this new Slayer that he's like, but you didn't, you didn't use your, you didn't hone. Yeah, you didn't you did use your hone. senses. <laughs> but
0: she, I mean, she used what she knew and yeah. ended up being correct. Which this is one of those moments that I feel like is very much like the movie. Like, she uses her keen fashion sense to deduce that there's a vampire there. And that feels very much like kind of what the movie was going for. And is definitely something that is very present in the earlier seasons of Buffy and, and gets stepped away. But can we talk just briefly here about Buffy's... Uh, slayer sense and how horribly inconsistent it is and how i'm pretty convinced it doesn't exist at all and sometimes she just gets lucky and turns around at the right time and spots a vampire because she was just in the alleyway with a vampire for a long extended time and And did did, not realize yeah yeah. did not clue in at all (laughs) yeah and it's actually i don't remember
1: exactly when it is but it's it's a little while before she realizes angel is a vampire um, I don't know if it. I can't remember exactly when if it's the third or fourth episode, but it's a it's it's a while, and she sees him several times.
0: It's longer than that because I think it's episode seven. Um, yeah, it it, t- it takes a while. It's yeah, it takes a while for her. So she she has multiple encounters with this vampire without ever realizing that she's that she's talking to a vampire. So clearly, mm-hmm. the ability for slayers to just sense a vampire's presence is not. A thing that Buffy has innately.
1: No. Yeah. She definitely does not have that. But like. Hey. Like she just did. Or like she did with the clothes. She makes up for it in other ways.
0: Yeah. She's got. She's got her own way of detecting vampires. So. She. She. Uh, goes into action when she realizes that Willow's in danger. And then she goes into the the back halls of the bronze. I guess. And. Um, immediately gets a stake. And I so appreciate that in these early episodes they continue to show Buffy always being prepared. She has a stake on her at the beginning. She immediately grabs a stake here. There's multiple times where she goes and makes sure that she has weapons and is prepared for the encounters that she's going up against. And I really appreciate that. What and I, then,
1: yeah. you know, the most awful thing that could happen happens where she almost stakes the most popular girl in school. Uh-huh. Yes, she almost Cordelia lives the dream
0: the that board. many of the nerds of Sunnydale High have had. Um, <laughs> oh, and it becomes a dream of hers later on. But at
1: this point, it's just I'm ruining my social life. Oh here yeah, in this
0: town. oh yeah, that's yeah. that's dead set. Like Cordelia is not gonna let that down. In fact, she pulls out her cell phone and immediately starts calling people, which I'm pretty sure after this episode, cell phones just cease to exist in Sunnydale until season seven. So it's impressive to see one. But I love the line. What is your childhood trauma that is such a great delivery and such a great Cordy line? Just show so much about her character again, of just how quick she's gonna get to the point.
1: Oh, very much. Oh, yeah. Ah. Yeah, and then we're back underground and we see the Master rise and realize he's trapped there and kind of waiting for the other vampires to bring him food.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. He rises and he is just there to wait for some somebody to be brought to him he'd prefer uh someone young immediately in his element i really like the master is a super campy villain but mm-hmm. i really oh, like i really like uh mark metcalf's uh, uh performance here where he is just delightfully a vampire he really has a great balance between being hokey and funny and actually super intimidating all at once. And I like that he can switch back and forth. That there's moments that you're just like, no, he can actually, like, mess some people up. But mm-hmm. then he's just super funny and goofy. That you 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 get surprised whenever he actually is a super evil menacing vampire when those scenes come around. Um, we get some snaps of uh, Jesse throughout all of this that we've just discussed where he's rejected by Cordy and then turns and finds Darla and so he wanders off with Darla and Buffy and Xander meet outside of the bronze and Xander reveals that he knows.
1: She's like how do you know does everyone know was there was there an assembly yeah (laughs) to announce this and he's like well I only know what that you think that this is who you are and she just interrupts him and is like we have to find Willow. And he realizes she's serious. You know, at this point he doesn't really believe vampires, I'm sure, but he realizes that she is seriously worried about Willow. Mhm. And- so they you know, they go they wander off together to find Willow and then Willow and the guy she was with who's a vampire, they're wandering somewhere together and Jesse and Darla are wandering somewhere together. So they're just all kinda out in Sunnydale in the dark.
0: Yeah. And they all converge on the mausoleum. The beautiful mausoleum. Which a lot of stuff happens in that mausoleum. It's where you get your first dusting. Which, which
1: is-, is 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 pretty awesome. Yeah. Considering that it's a while before it shows another dusting on camera. Because, like, you hear the noise and you know that vampires got dusted. But it's a while before they show the other one just because in the first season it was so expensive. hmm The special effects to do that. As opposed to, like, the later seasons, like... You know, 5, 6, and 7 when oh, yeah. there's like 10 dustings an episode. Like They're just like, no, nah, this is fine. We got this.
0: The thing I don't like about this scene, purely because I've seen the entire series, but I really, there's one line that Darla feels like Darla. And that's the, I got hungry on the way line, which I think is a great line. But mm-hmm. everywhere else in the scene, Darla does not feel like Darla at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, it you know, quite possibly they didn't know who Darla, Darla yeah. was going
1: to be at this point. You they, know. Yeah,
0: they may have not even, which it's revealed in season one, but they may have not even realized that she was going to be Angel's sire at this point. They may have written that in between this and when it's revealed in season one. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But she, like, she definitely doesn't feel like Darla. Knowing her history, you know that she should be able to figure out pretty quickly who Buffy is the fact that she's and that a Slayer, Buffy is and, yeah, a slayer. yeah, that should that should be apparent to her pretty quickly, and she is just not in her element here at all. That's always a bit disappointing. I think that Darla and Angel are a couple of the weakest characters in the first season, considering how much I love them later on in the series. She just uh, doesn't really have her act together and is kind of just put in her place by Buffy pretty fast. Uh, But Luke shows up, and Luke happens to be stronger than Buffy, or so he says, so he gives her a run for her money, I guess. But this is the point, because Luke monologues, as Luke does, where he talks about humanity being a plague of boils. And so that's how I immediately came back to this idea of the Black Plague, and how there's this idea of, well, obviously vampires are a plague of humanity but vampires see it the same way vampires see humanity as a plague and so I I, that's the one connection that I've kind of pulled from this whole black plague thing to tie it all together don't know if that's the intent but that's what I got from it so I'm gonna stick with that one which may makes sense
1: to tie those together and you know why Buffy is fighting Luke she tells Xander to go and Xander helps Jesse and Willow out and they take off running and uh you see Buffy fighting Luke, and then vampires start to surround the the other gang.
0: It's all building up. Everybody's in danger. Giles is figuring out stuff back in his research mode. And, and Luke continues to monologue, and then throws Buffy in the sarcophagus, jumps in after her, and goes for the bite, and then dun-dun-dun it's to be continued. All right, so before we get into The Harvest, um, I'm going to do a little housekeeping. We're actually recording the second part on a different day, and during that time, I have realized that I've made some terrible, terrible mistakes in the fact that I did not mention who wrote and directed these two episodes. Joss Whedon, uh, he wrote both of these episodes, and then Oddly enough, did not direct them, which I always kind of assumed he also directed these episodes, but Welcome to the Hellmouth is directed by Charles Martin Smith, and The Harvest is directed by John T. Kretschmer. So that was a that was a little bit of a shock for me. He actually doesn't direct an episode of Buffy until Prophecy Girl. Really? Yeah. So I did
1: was, not know that. that I was, I kind of always assumed he he wrote and uh directed at least through the third season when he leaves to go to Angel.
0: He um actually split some of the the workload there. I'm I'm assuming he was a pretty heavy like backseat director in these first two episodes. Like I'm sure I would the, think so. I'm sure the credited director uh was kind of uh annoyed with him at times because I'm sure he uh he made his opinions known as far as it echoes because obviously when you go back to the movie and you hear all the stories about the movie a lot of it was because of the directorial choices so the fact that the show started without him directing it was kind of a, a shock to me um and i also i'm trying to mention um some of the more substantial side characters actors who who, who played these characters because i think they don't get as much notoriety as as our big main cast but um I failed to mention that uh, Luke is played by Brian Thompson. And I feel really bad about that because I really like Brian Thompson. Um, And he will return to the Buffyverse after Luke's demise. He'll come back to play the judge in season two. So big shout out to Brian Thompson. And yeah, with that being said, let's get into the harvest. So
1: when we ended Welcome to the Hellmouth, Buffy was in the mausoleum in the, the grave and Luke was about to bite her. And the harvest opens with Luke getting burned on the silver cross that Angel gave her just earlier that evening.
0: Yeah, already coming in handy. He jumps and runs off. She, uh-huh. well, she she runs back out because all of our our side characters are are Scoobies yet to be called such but are out there in the in the graveyard being surrounded, and we get some very clunky fighting. Uh, the action in the first season of Buffy is a little rough around the edges. Uh, but she does do the the thing that I love about Buffy. Again, I love that she's resourceful. I love that she always has weapons on her. And if she doesn't have weapons on her, she finds a weapon quickly. So she snaps off a branch off of a tree and use it a, uses it as a stake. And again, I just love whenever a character can think on their feet and is just always prepared. And Buffy is um on top of all of that from the very beginning.
1: Yeah. Well and then she comes out on top of those vampires and it's just her, Xander and Willow left and they realize Jesse's not there. Jesse um, is missing. Yeah, Jesse is missing and then we see Buffy do the thing that Giles was trying to teach her and and like home for the first time. Mm-hmm. Where she you can tell she's trying to sense if any vampires are around. But then it never it never really says if she's successful successful or not. Apparently not. Because then it just breaks into the theme song and starts with another scene. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of just leaves that. But...
0: She tries she tries she tries to hone, so after after the credits uh we go back into the library and this is well before we get into that one, if in,
1: a very discerning watcher might notice that this time when we're like worried about Jesse and stuff he's not anywhere in the credits I everyone actually, else you've seen is in there, but not Jesse
0: uh I actually wrote in my notes it's funny that you put put that uh into words for me because I actually wrote in my notes, Jesse missing. And then I put opening credits, Jesse also missing.
1: (laughs) Well, and I mean, he's not in the ones for the first episode either, but you don't really like, that's not something you would notice because when you see that, you don't know any of the characters yet. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't think about it. But in the second one, you're like, okay, I know this character and he's, you know, in danger. Ooh, he's not in there.
0: Yeah. 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 Poor Jesse. So, we uh come from the opening credits into the library and this is like a really interesting like intercut back and forth between the library and the master's lair and it goes back and forth Um, But we start in the library with a whole bunch of exposition again, because that's what the library is there for. It's for the exposition. Um, And this is where we get this, uh, like, mythology of this world being older than we know. And it actually started out as a world of demons.
1: Yeah, and the the last demon to leave this reality fed on a human and mixed their blood. And that's how vampires were created.
0: I really like this idea that there are demons and then there are demons, right? Like, there's this older version of demons that are so beyond uh, what we experience for most of the run of the show. Mm-hmm. And um, I really like the idea of the fact that this world is, in fact, a world that was once ruled by uh, these kind of ungodly demons that were so beyond even dimensions right because they they traveled back and forth between dimensions and when the last one left this dimension it fed off of a human and all of these other demons all of these other things that we interact with is just like a diluted form of what there once was
1: a couple of times during certain fights and certain situations they'll mention that you know, you've never seen a demon like this, you've never seen a real demon or mm-hmm. you know, this kind of form of demon. And that happens throughout Buffy and Angel. Yeah. Like whenever they want to communicate that this this big baddie is way worse. This is a bigger deal than anything we've dealt with. Mhm. You know. So there's there's obviously all different kinds of levels of demon. Yeah. And, you know, down at the bottom is kind of, you know, the vampire. Because they're part human.
0: Yeah, I kind of like... Yeah, that's the pecking order. Poor vampires are at the very bottom.
1: Which I believe there's even an episode of Angel, I believe uh first season where there's basically where demons do not like vampires mm-hmm. they don't think they're they're good enough I think you're but, right. but I mean I'm sure we'll get to that eventually a while from now but yeah <laughs> there's 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 kind of that Canon too that not all demons think vampires are demon enough
0: they are kind of uh, a weird in between right because they're made from humans but they're technically demons so they can't really exist in either world. Fully. Okay, so this is one of the first cuts. We cut right down into the lair, um, and the master is upset because he has been brought scraps. Yes. And And
1: he scolds Darla. uh
0: Uh-huh, and there's a thing he does here. There's a thing he does here that I have never noticed before, but when he's grabbing Darla, uh, he does like this weird thing with his tongue, and it's so super creepy And I've never noticed it before, but now I- I will fear that I will never not notice that. But it is just the weirdest, grossest thing. And I'm kind of upset that I've noticed it now. <laughs> and I've ruined it for all of you now because I'm sure you're going to well, watch I, it and notice it.
1: <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and check that out because I have no idea what you're talking about with this stuff. It's tongue.
0: just... it's So a, I'm going to have to go...
1: I totally am going to have to check yeah, that out.
0: It's a level of tongue acting that I was not prepared for.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, now, I, I'm, now I'm excited about going to see what he does <laughs> and wondering how I've missed it so many times.
0: Oh man, but yeah, they uh they discuss and discuss and 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 determine that Buffy may in fact be the Slayer, and then we cut right back to the library. So there's a lot of back and forth here. I really love the way that this is all cut together.
1: Yeah, and and Giles, who's tired of, I guess tired of arguing about it and what they're going to do and how they need to do it, basically, is like, and I I I love this line. All right. Slayers hunt vampires. Buffy's the Slayer. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, we're done now. <laughs> That's all you need to know.
0: Uh, we also I've was- always really
1: liked that line.
0: Yeah, it's great. We also, <laughs> um, here we also establish that the police are useless, which is good. I like that yes. they put that out there early. It's
1: all adorable when willow's like well we don't have to tell the police that it's vampires we can just say a a bad man
0: he's a bad man and i'm like (laughs) oh and we also established that even though they could in the movies in this version they can't fly but they can drive
1: yeah when xander's like they can fly and Buffy's like they can drive which kind of also establishes that the vampires might be a little more modern than they're coming across as
0: Mm -hmm.
1: what with being underground and everything like, there might be a little bit more to these vampires.
0: So once we kind of uh, establish that there is a sewer system, an electrical tunnel, that they can mm-hmm. maybe learn some more information about, we cut back to the Master. And we have this epic zoom into the Master's face as he says, The Slayer. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we, we get to frame Luke as being a big baddie guy because he hasn't left a victim alive in like several hundred years, right? A couple hundred years. Mm-hmm. So that that means that it has to be the Slayer. That's all the confirmation they need. Um, yeah,
1: because no one else would have survived him.
0: Absolutely. And uh, poor, uh, poor Jesse has been upgraded to bait.
1: Yeah, because they know that she'll come back to saving. And then back in the library, they realize that There are tunnels, uh, sewer tunnels and electrical tunnels and stuff that run over the whole town. We're like, yeah, that's gonna, you know, be a big thing for the rest of this series. Yeah. (laughs) At this point, Buffy realizes that she was facing the door of the mausoleum and Luke had come up behind her so that... the entrance to the tunnels is in the mausoleum, so Mm -hmm. now she knows how to get down there.
0: And it continues to show just how, even though she berates herself for not realizing it sooner, how observant she actually is Mm -hmm. to pick up on all of that during a time where she is, I mean, definitely under duress. I mean, she's being picked up by a very large vampire <laughs> and thrown around yes. like a rag doll um but she she pieced it together and uh, there's a couple bits in this little section that I love first of all can we talk about Xander's green mushroom shirt because I really love Xander's green mushroom shirt <laughs> <laughs> And I kinda want one for myself. It's just the most ridiculous yet kind of easy to overlook shirt. And yeah, like the more I the more I realize how over the top that shirt is, the more I love it. But I don't think I really picked up on the fact that it's just a green shirt with a bunch of mushrooms on it until several viewings. A very random shirt. Very random shirt. But a much more subtle thing. That I absolutely adore is that when Giles is asking Willow how she got access to the uh, sewer systems, she says that she decrypted the city council's security system, and there's just this little subtle smile that Tony Head does, and I don't really think that they had this all planned out at this point, but it just makes me think about Giles just enjoying the fact that Willow has this rebellious stick it to the man side based on the fact that he himself when he was younger had that same side. And just mm-hmm. gives the sweetest little smile that's hidden and almost immediately gone when she says that she did that. I never
1: I never thought of that aspect of it. But I really like that interpretation because I always thought it was just he was grinning because he realized how useful this will be. Mm-hmm. to have a map of the underground of Sunnydale. Yeah. Cuz that's where all the baddies are.
0: Which may have been the intent you know? when they first filmed it, but I choose to believe that that's the little that's the little uh, uh nostalgia for his ripper days showing.
1: Yes, I like that too. I'm yeah. I'm going to go with that one as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they kind of divide and conquer from there out and and this is where Buffy goes and and discovers the massive fence that I'm pretty sure again is, is never a thing after this episode and our one yes. little Flutie moment. And it's this, wide
1: open. Yeah, it's like, wide open. The fence is wide open.
0: It's not secure in any way until Buffy starts to try to make it exit and Flutie catches her. Um, but you got this one little Flutie moment where he's uh, complaining about Britain and all of their problems, um, <laughs> which is just delightful. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, because Buffy uses Giles as an excuse to leave school.
0: Yeah. Because she actually, knows that
1: he'll back her up.
0: Yeah, which is actually obviously That's it smart. fails, but it, it's but, it's a fair attempt. Uh, again, yeah. she thinks on her feet so fast. And then Flutie locks it,
1: and the next oh, you hear him say, "That's the Buffy Summers I want in my school: sensible girl with her feet on the ground." And then the next scene is her jumping over the fence mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> with her feet very definitely not on the ground. <laughs>
0: I love the fact that Buffy is just so used to bypassing every attempt to keep her contained that it it doesn't even phase her like with mm-hmm. like she didn't wait but two seconds after he left before she just jumped over that fence. So there's a really brief clip here in the hall between Willow and Xander where they're listing uh, search terms for Willow to use. And there's a couple things I like. I like that, again, Xander's a Xander's a complicated character, and we'll get into him more and more as the series progresses, but he, he has this uh, inferiority complex going on right from the beginning where he says that he's going to help by standing around like an idiot Willow is not very good at comforting him because she she quickly defends that he is not standing around like an idiot but can't come up with anything better than the fact that he's just standing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love I love their dynamic, I love their friendship, and this is just a little nugget of that again. So Yeah,
1: and there's there's several places throughout the series where we see the, the strength of Xander and Willow's friendship and I have a feeling there'll be there'll be scenes that we talk about a lot. Uh-huh. There's but, several that I just love.
0: Oh yeah, there's so many. And this is just a little taste of that, but it still works mm-hmm. as the in the fact that, you know, Xander Xander has his self confidence issues. And Willow just loves him so much and tries to figure out a way to make him feel better about himself, but also realizes that some of the things that he says are true, are warranted, that he he isn't really set up to help in this situation and shouldn't help. And so his his best thing to do is to just...
1: Go to class. Go to
0: class, yeah.
1: (laughs) Go to class. And instead of going to class, he follows Buffy.
0: Yes. But before we get to that, we get Angel.
1: Yes, another sighting of Angel.
0: The mysterious Angel.
1: Yes, and he's all cryptic again, <laughs> um, telling her not to go down there. It's too dangerous. And Buffy explains to him that she has a friend down there, or a potential friend, and that she's going down. And she's like, do you know what it's like to have a friend? And he just stares at her. Mm-hmm. and. If you haven't seen other episodes that go through a lot of Angel's history, then you won't really get that. But I really caught it this past time when I watched it. And I was like, well, no, he doesn't, (laughs) you know.
0: Yeah, I think you could argue that he's never had a friend. Because even when he was a human, he wasn't really like a likable guy.
1: Right. And then it was just vampires. And then after that, he was just, you know, living in alleyways and homeless and stuff for a couple of centuries
0: Mm -hmm.
1: or maybe one century. I I don't remember exactly how long that was. It was years though, at least decades Uh and he was all by himself. So there wasn't like anybody. And so you're like, once you've seen all of the, the Buffy verse, you're like, Oh yeah, he, he doesn't at this point.
0: I think there's also a little subtle nod again, revealing that he is a vampire from the fact that he's talking about how he expected her sooner or later and uh, actually expected it to be a little sooner. And the fact that it's daylight means that he's literally been waiting there all day.
1: Oh, yeah. I never, I didn't catch that. Because he had to have got there before the sun rose. So yeah. he was waiting a while.
0: He's been waiting a while for Buffy.
1: <laughs> yeah. And the, the one issue I have with this scene is is she asks him why he won't go down there, and he says, because I'm scared. Which doesn't really seem like a very Angel thing
0: to say to her. Well, it does and it doesn't. So, the, the truth of the matter is, I think when they initially conceived Angel, he wasn't really supposed to be a fighter, um, and that kind of changed a little bit more as the series progressed. But I think he's less afraid of what's down there and more afraid of if he goes down there... It's gonna reveal who he is. Well, now that that I can see, yeah.
1: But I wasn't I I wasn't thinking of it as as he's gonna go down there with her just on his own. But yeah, that makes sense. That one of the the vampires already down there will reveal it, or you know she'll find out when they're fighting. Yeah, that makes sense because he's obviously not ready for her to know.
0: So we get uh, Buffy breaks uh, through the the lock and and goes down into the electrical tunnels. Um, one yeah, I'm not th-
1: impressed with locks in the show. Yeah,
0: one <laughs> one little <laughs> note that I will say, there is another hint here that connects the school to the lair, the school to the hell mouth and the fact that Angel says, uh, head east towards the school. So, that's very much... Um, Sprinkled yeah. throughout this first season, but we don't actually get the reveal that the Hellmouth is directly under the library until Tell Prophecy Girl. So I always try to watch for yeah. stuff like that. Um, That's true. Here's another situation here where Buffy clearly not only doesn't have, um, like, vampire sense to spot those sneaking up on her, but, like, Xander gets really close to Buffy before Buffy realizes she's been followed. And I can't imagine mm-hmm. Xander's a super stealthy guy. Yeah, no. <laughs> Xander makes a, a good argument here. It's less good after we get past these two episodes and Jesse just ceases to exist. But he says that Jesse's my bud. If I can help him out, that's what I've got to do. Mm-hmm. And that's all it takes for Buffy. Buffy's like, okay, let's go.
1: They continue exploring the tunnels until they find Jesse.
0: Mm-hmm. And on that journey, there's a bit of uh, vampire mythology discussed because they discuss mm-hmm. the different things that are uh, effective against vampires, um, which is good. I like how they kind of interweave this into the conversation and explain how the rules work in this world. It's very traditional. You got the crosses, you got garlic, you got stakes through the heart, fire, beheading, sunlight, and holy water are all mentioned there. I really, I'm going to watch closely this this time around through the show. I don't think that they ever use garlic for anything other than just kind of like hanging around places. So I don't know if garlic is just supposed to be like a a repellent. Um, (laughs) And probably not a super effective one either. Because I guarantee you as much stuff as they've shown Spike Eat throughout this series, something had to have had garlic in it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, the the first couple of seasons, they do hang garlic up a lot. Mm-hmm. But they, they find Jesse, and he's laying there and chained up, and is like, oh, thank God, help me, help me, you know.
0: Yeah, there is a scene before this, because it cuts away, it cuts back to them. There's the computer lab scene.
1: Oh, I've got that further down.
0: Okay. Ah, yeah, so... The, there's a lot of there's a lot of cutting back and forth here, but the computer lab scene is perhaps my favorite scene of this episode, not because of Willow being awesome, but because it has my favorite character in all of Buffy. and I'm being completely serious. There's no sarcasm here at all. Just want everybody to understand that my favorite character in all of Buffy, is the random dude bro who pops out when Cordelia's explaining that Buffy tried to, like, come at her with a stick. And he's just like, who? <laughs> <laughs> he is he is acting his butt off. It's so great. It's so over the top. He's in there for, like... A minute tops. And I just love him. I don't I don't even think it's him. a whole minute. He's so I'm funny. Thinking. It's just so over the top. Uh, but there is other obviously good parts about this. Harmony is introduced yes. in this scene. Which I always yeah. am surprised that Harmony is in this early. Because she's another one of those characters that you just... You don't really think about until later seasons. Like she doesn't really yes. become prominent until later seasons. Um but she's in there, and then there's this really neat character-building moment for Willow and the fact that she immediately goes to Buffy's defense uh, when Cordelia's talking about her being crazy uh, an a loon or whatever wording she chooses. Willow's like, no, she's yeah. not. Um, and I think that that's really nice because in the previous episode, we've seen Willow just...
1: Take it. Take yeah. it.
0: Like when, when Cordelia's just being super mean straight to her face, Willow's just like, nah, it's not worth it. I'm just going to walk away. But when Cordelia's talking Yeah, because talking she's about
1: talking Buffy, about Buffy, yeah. Willow, you know, kind of fights back a little bit.
0: Yeah, and I um,
1: Especially with the turning in the homework. Is <laughs> in this scene, they're doing uh, like a computer program. Trying to, it it seems like they're trying to write a computer program and they get to the end of it and they're all thankful it's the end of it. And uh, Cordelia wants to know how do we, what does she say? How do we save it or how do we turn it in?
0: Mm, Yeah. Or
1: send it? How do we send it? And Willow says, push deliver. And just walks away. <laughs> she doesn't even wait to see what happens. She just walks away. At which point it shows Cordelia see the key that says D-E-L, which, you know, we all know is delete, and hits it. <laughs> hmm Everything disappears. But Willow doesn't even wait to see this. She just walks away. Yeah.
0: She's super cool, man. <laughs> yeah. And there's this amazing cut of Charisma Carpenter, like... Just starting to, like, realize and then fully react. And it cuts away right as she's, like, fully understood what has just happened
1: yeah what that her, her whole program just disappeared
0: okay so now we're back into the sewers with jesse
1: yeah where they've they have found him he's talking about how he's not okay and let's get out of here and they all start running and run into some more vampires
0: mm-hmm. we see vampires with um crazy long nails we see vampires with glowy eyes we see a lot of Specific traits to vampires that are kind of forgotten over the years of Buffy. But are very mm-hmm. prevalent in these first few uh, episodes.
1: Yeah, and Jesse kind of takes the lead. Which makes sense since he's trying to lure them into a trap. Mm-hmm. But at that point, they're just like, oh, he might know how to get out of here. And they follow him to kind of a, a room without an exit. And then there's a really interesting conversation that Jesse has with Xander about... How awesome being a vampire is. Once, you know, he shows his face and they realize he's a vampire, they turned him. But he talks about how he's never felt so great before and he can hear the worms crawling in the earth.
0: I've always loved that line. (laughs) I've always loved, I can hear the worms. Like, I love that. Because it's such a not valuable thing. But he just loves it. He loves being a vampire so much.
1: And so Xander's kind of frozen so Buffy grabs him and you know shoves him out at the door at the other vampires and her and Xander push the door closed and think they're trapped but then discover a vent in the ceiling Mm -hmm. which they climb up and climb out of while the vampires are breaking down the door and then above that is a manhole cover that they can go up through to get out and as they're getting out a vampire grabs Buffy's leg and she pulls it up into the Pulls his arm up into the sun and he lets go, and they're safe.
0: Yeah. There's a couple of bits in this section that really make Buffy feel way weaker than she should be, considering how easily we've seen her break every lock she's come across at this point. Yes. Um, Yes. It seems like she's the Xander's helped. Shutting the door shouldn't really be necessary But especially like just Pulling her leg up enough to where the Sun is you know hitting the vampire's Hand she should be able to do that I would think
1: Um, I agree And (laughs) and kind of like when she's trying To pull the vent off that takes Way longer than it should Have considering her strength
0: yeah Like we've seen we've seen throughout The show after this where she'll just Very casually do stuff that's Way harder than that So it's kind of a weird section um, as far as Buffy's uh, strength goes, but there is a very, very short scene right after this that's back down in the lair with the master and a vampire who he calls by name, he calls him Colin, which is pretty funny because I believe that is also the name of the Anointed One. So we have two vampire Collins in the first season. But it's just got this lovely, again, this part that I love about the Master is he's so delightful and charismatic and just silly and goofy. But then also really terrifying. And that's what this scene encapsulates so well where he's just like, say you're sorry. And then he says he's sorry. And he says like, that wasn't so hard. And then off camera you see him just jab his hand out and hear this squishing sound while he says you've got something in your eye and you're just like, oh, no.
1: Yeah. 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 Which is, you know, punishment for letting Jesse, the bait, and Buffy get away. But, you know, the the night before, he didn't really punish Darla or Luke for letting them get away or you know tasting his food and bringing him leftovers well, so, so it's you kind of see at this point that darla and luke are some of his favorites
0: yeah i was about to say well something we definitely learn about the master is he plays favorites he mm-hmm. absolutely plays favorites couple quick mm-hmm. bits of lore that's mentioned uh, willow comes back to the library and announces the earthquake of uh 37 which is what caused the master to be trapped um, which is a pretty, pretty significant thing. That's actually kind of still relevant throughout a lot of Buffy. There is, there is callbacks to that earthquake um, throughout the entire series. So it's a significant moment that I just feel like must be mentioned. Um, but the scene's super short and not really yes. a huge talking point in it. Yes,
1: but the that, that that earthquake becomes very important.
0: Yeah. Um, and then we have the ritual uh, where Luke becomes the vessel. And more just weird tongue action from the master. I, like, I'm sorry, but... I I,
1: have to go check this out.
0: He just does so much (laughs) stuff with his tongue that's just weird. Uh, (laughs) But then we're back to the library when Buffy and Xander return.
1: They've all returned to the library and are kind of figuring out some things. And Giles is telling them about what the harvest is and how the master can get out if he gets enough strength from his vessel and then shows them the shape that the vessel will have on his, somewhere on his body. Mm -hmm. And Buffy just like sums it up so perfectly. And she's like, okay, so I dust anyone sporting that symbol and no harvest. And then they're they're trying to... Figure out where the vessel will go, at which point Xander comes up with the answer and he's like, The bronze, that's where they go.
0: Proving that Xander can in fact be useful. Yes. He knows (laughs) it immediately. He knows. He knows where the taste is. Yeah, he knows where they're going. So there's a couple of things here in the scene. Um, right when they get back, Xander is very, very upset. Um and kicks stuff and then says the line, I don't like vampires. I'm going to take a stand and say they're not good. And I will say yeah. as much as I really get upset that they kind of forget about Jesse after these first two episodes. I will say this here, this moment is the lingering thread that continues throughout the rest of the season is Xander's hate for vampires. His his just absolute hate for vampires no matter how good they're they're supposed to be, no matter what kind of soul they may or may not have. He hates all vampires, and I think... Well,
1: not just the rest of the season, the rest of the series. Yeah, he
0: he he comes he comes to that um, conclusion based on what happened to Jesse, and I'd say that at least yeah. allows this moment to live on, even though Jesse himself is not really part of the show anymore. Yeah, the specific reaction it shapes Xander a lot, I think. Yes, although it is generally the only
1: thing that we get that shows that he's upset about Jesse. Mm-hmm. Because even later in the show, it shows Jesse again, but, but we don't really see... We don't really see any grief about Jesse.
0: Yeah, it's weird. And I don't know if Jesse's, like, supposed to be a relatively, like, newer friend... Or, like, how close they're really supposed to be. Um, because Willow doesn't have a huge reaction either.
1: No, she doesn't.
0: So, poor Jesse. He just, the the only friends he can seem to get don't really care too much when he dies. Um... (laughs) Now they decide that they're
1: going to go to the bronze, and Buffy says she has to make a stop. She has to go home and get weapons. Yes, I love it. I love that Buffy always thinks ahead. But then she gets there, and uh uh-oh, her mom knows that she skipped school. Mm Mm-hmm. And grounds her and not let her go out. And there's a line here that I just love. Um, But again, we hear about the books that Joyce has been reading. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I know all the books say I have to get used to saying no. No, you're not going out.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I'm just like, yeah, still reading the parenting books. But then Buffy is trying to explain to her mom how important it is that she go out because, you know, it's basically the end of the world. And she's trying to tell her mom, this is, I have to go. Joyce says, I know if you don't go out, it'll be the end of the world. Everything's life or death when you're a 16-year-old girl. And I just love that part. Because, mm-hmm. well, I mean, everything is life Absolutely. or death for Buffy. Like, always.
0: Yeah, and it's it's true for both of them. What Joyce is saying is a true statement, but for Buffy it's a literal statement, you know. I got you got to love that that's that's a uh, a funny reality about Buffy is that, in a way, she's she's been forced to grow up way faster and, and face these things that normal 16-year-old girls wouldn't have to face, but at the same time, her mom doesn't have that information, and so she's just looking at it as an overdramatic 16-year-old girl. I like this part when her mom is
1: like, you know, you're not going, and I completely understand if you want to stay up here and sulk, That's fine. But if you want to come down, I'll fix you some dinner. And then her mom just leaves. Kind of Mm -hmm. showing that she really is just a little bit oblivious. Because she just leaves and shut the door and Buffy wastes. Absolutely no time, like no time pass and Buffy is grabbing her weapons and out the window. She doesn't even think about it. It's like she knows her mom's not coming back.
0: Yeah, like I said before with the fence, like that's just Buffy's default. Any obstacle that's put in front of her, she just immediately bypasses it with zero hesitation.
1: Yeah, and during this time we see some really good imagery of the vampires heading toward the Bronze. There's some music playing and they're just kind of walking and they've all got their vampire faces on and you can tell they're just so happy they're going to do this.
0: Yeah, you know? and and the music. So something that I want to do with this watch-through is spend more time listening to the music of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, and there's two songs here. There's Wearing Me Down, um, which is the song that Cordy's like, super excited about and runs down and dances to. And then Mm -hmm. there's the uh, Ballad of Dead Friends, which is the song that plays as the vamps are approaching the bronze, and those are both by the Dashboard Prophets. Um, and what I think I'm actually going to do, because there's also Believe by Sprung Monkey played in Welcome to the Hellmouth. It's these songs that I know so well because I've watched the show so many times, but I haven't actually like bothered to learn about the bands or listen to the, to the, the song in cool. its entirety. Yeah. Yeah. And so I yeah. kind of want to like create a playlist as we're going through these episodes of all of these songs and just have that together and probably link it in in some of the, the stuff we, we post just so other that's fans a good can idea. have access to it. So that's my project for this watch through is to really pay attention to the music um, because everything is so like specifically selected and music is such a big part of Buffy. Um, that's why the bronze exists, that's why that area was, was created, because they wanted to show the local talent and give them a place to perform and have live bands and stuff like that. When you said the, the vampires approaching the bronze and looking all happy, like the, the lyrics, um, how are you feeling? Do you feel OK? Because I don't play it in my head because I've listened to that so many times in that specific mm-hmm. scene and I can't separate those two. And yeah, I really I really like the music uh, selection for this episode uh, for these episodes and am I'm looking forward to exploring the music going forward. But yeah, we have this the vampires approaching um, and then we have the team uh, outside as well after the vampires have taken over the bronze and locked them out and buffy has a very specific line towards xander um, where she says don't go wild bunch on me already based on everything we've we've discovered in a very short amount of time buffy's got xander pegged as being the the riskiest of of the the team, there's also this beautiful line from Giles that I think really sums up the the intent of vampires. And when he says that, when you're when you're looking at him, you're not looking at your friend, you're looking at the thing that killed him.
1: Yes, yes. And the part where Xander says they have to get in there before Jesse does something stupid,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Giles is like, Jesse is dead. And then he says that line, which is really does a, a really good line.
0: Yeah, it does a lot. In a a short amount of time to really build the the vampire lore and explain some things that, you know, normally you'd be like, oh, well, when a vampire is created, it's actually a demon taking over his body. And we get those kind of explanations, the more long-winded one. But this one is so clear and to the point that that's not your friend anymore. That is literally the thing that took his life. Yes. Here's the thing I love about the, the harvest and the bronze scene. And Luke up on the stage and all of the stuff is that they're like coordinated in such a way that they're putting on a show. Like Luke goes up onto the stage and starts his speech and there are vampires running lights for him. Like they Mm -hmm. have a prepared presentation and they are are organized, they are rehearsed, they know their parts. And they just do this really ridiculous uh, dramatized speech before he starts feeding, and I think that's just hilarious.
1: Yeah, where they have it that almost like they practiced it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, they, they knew what they were I- doing going in, and they, they show it, like, because Buffy when she's up top um, and, and notices that Luke is the one that has the mark of the vessel, it cuts away to show a vampire literally sitting there on the light, like with the spotlight aimed at Luke.
1: And then he sees Buffy, but Buffy doesn't see him. So you think that, you know, he's fixing to try to get her. And then all of a sudden, you just see where she throws him down onto the stage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And does a really awesome series of flips to get down there, too.
0: Yeah. She's good at flips. Yes. So this is another thing that with a real thorough watching, um, I've, I've picked up on is the fact that if you listen closely to the, the voice actors in the background, like, just the weird voices that they've, they've like, pl- applied to the crowd sounds to try to make it seem like everybody's engaged and aware of the situation, mm-hmm. um, there's, like, some really terrible, over-the-top dialogue in there that doesn't match at all the scenario that they're in. It's just like somebody gets bitten and there's just like a dude that says, Whoa. (laughs) 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 And it's just throughout this entire scene, like all of this section, it's a pretty long (laughs) scene. And everybody's weirdly, like, planted in there with random bits of dialogue that don't really match with what's going on. And I just, I wonder what the process was, the behind-the-scenes process, where they were were putting all that together. Um, but it's just delightful for me. And you yes. also get the most uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie moment... Buffy killing a vampire with a uh, symbol off of a drum kit.
1: Yes, and she she will just grab anything made of wood.
0: Well, and that like she yes. she beheads him. She she throws it like a frisbee and beheads him. Oh, the symbol. And, okay, and she, yeah. she, Like <clears throat> giggles for a second because Xander makes a pun and she's just like giggling and it's just like the most ridiculous beat in this whole section. And I'm just like, that's that's the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie showing. That's that's the little,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> little bit too over the top. So we mm-hmm. have uh, several threatening things going on here. We have Jesse going after Cordy, Darla mm-hmm. going after Giles, and of course Luke is about to feed on Buffy.
1: Yeah, and <clears throat> meanwhile, like while that's happening, we have Xander confront Jesse,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who is. Again, talking about Xander who didn't listen to Giles is is like, come on, Jesse, I know you're in there. And Jesse is talking about how uncool he was and how much better he likes it as a vampire. While he's doing this, is it someone brushes past?
0: Yeah, somebody. and he gets
1: pushed onto the stake that Xander's holding. Yeah. It's a really which...
0: it's a really weird choice, but I think it works. <clears throat>
1: Yes, I really think it works, too. I like that they did that where Xander didn't have to kill him. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And we don't know if Xander was going to or not. You know, he was holding the stake, but we don't know if he would have actually went through with it.
0: Yeah, my assumption at this point is Xander would not have been able to do it. I think that may have helped him to be able to do stuff like that in the future. To be able to, to be a little braver around vampires and to actually go in for the kill. But the thing is, you have to reason, it's not just that he's killing his friend, but he's, there's, even though he's made the statement that he does not like vampires, it still feels kind of like killing someone, which is Mm -hmm. not something that uh, people come to naturally. This is a a human-shaped person in front of me, and if I put this piece of wood into them, they will cease to exist. It still feels very much the same as killing someone, And add on to the layer the fact that this is one of his friends, um, or at least wearing the face of one of his friends. And you you have this moment where just by random happenstance, somebody shoves him in just the right way that uh, Jesse is is accidentally staked by Xander. I think that may make it easier for Xander to continue to stake vampires in the future because he's already experienced that.
1: Yeah, he's already done it once. Mm Mm-hmm. While this is happening, Luke and Buffy are up on the stage fighting, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed this fight so much because she doesn't overpower him at all. Yeah. Like, she, she wins this by tricking him in t- two different times, which he, he grabs a hold of her and is squeezing her, I guess, trying to uh, keep her from breathing or suffocating her. And she just kind of puts her head down and goes limp like it worked.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then when he starts grinning like it works, she just she just rears back and headbutts him as hard as she can. Yeah. And he lets go. And then she kind of just distracts him by telling him he forgot about something. And he goes, What? And she says, Daylight. And he, you know, grabs his face like he's about to get burned. Ah he stops and looks at her and she's, it's in about nine hours, moron. <laughs> But while he's distracted, she, you know, she stakes him.
0: I think it's definitely, without Luke's outright declaration, it's definitely implied that in a, in a, just a a physical contest between the two, Buffy is not able to defeat Luke. Luke is stronger um, Mm -hmm. and very easily can overpower her. And so the fact that she is crafty in these ways, finds kind of ways to, to steer the, the, the fight um, she's
1: definitely trickier.
0: Yeah. <laughs> she's she's much more inventive uh, in how she goes about the fight, which I really like. I also like that um, during all of this, we have Willow take action again and use the holy water on Darla to save Giles. Because, one, I think it's one of the few uses of holy water that we see in the show. Holy water is, is very minimally used throughout the, the run. But it's also just shows, again, how easily like willow will go to to help and protect people around her whereas we've yes. seen her in Welcome to the Hellmouth and she's very much the 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 dumb victim and we kind of said oh man that really sucks for willow because we know that she's she's really not and here we immediately see an example that she's of her really not. not yeah i appreciate that we have uh, a a more like our our version of willow established Um, Mm -hmm. In this episode and kind of redeems some of the poor choices she made in the first episode. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we throughout this, we've
1: seen cuts of the master underground Mm -hmm. kind of getting stronger with everyone Luke fed on. And you can see him kind of trying to reach through the barrier a little bit. And then as soon as Buffy does Luke, it cuts to him underground and he starts screaming because he knows he's still stuck there. Mm -hmm. Like he missed his chance.
0: Gives the second most ridiculous no, surpassed only by Darth Vader in Revenge of the Sith. It is so over dramatic, and he like crouches down and like flings his arm behind him in a dramatic pose, and yes. it's just so funny. This is a very dr- like a lot of
1: characters in this episode are very over dramatic.
0: <laughs> one of one of my favorite bits is at the very end of this section because again, it shows the premise of. Buffy is the thing that scares all of the scary things, but there's just this shot of her looking up at the vampires who are trying to pull Xander out of the bronze, and they just kind of glance at each other for a split second and bolt, and it's... Yes,
1: I love, love, love that imagery when she looks up like that.
0: Oh, she's actually yeah. kind of scary. Like, I look at her yeah. like, yeah, I would be intimidated by that.
1: And I think they used that in the the opening scenes for like the entire series. <laughs> it's it's just an amazing shot.
0: And of course, another subtle nod to Angel maybe not being um, just a regular old human when he when he says that she did it. I'll be damned. Uh, yeah, because
1: he sees the vampire. He's waiting outside and sees the vampires running out. And <laughs> you know he means it because he's by himself. He's not talking to anybody else. He's just like I yeah. didn't. Ex- yeah. You just get like I didn't expect her to do that.
0: So we finish this scene off with with Xander's declaration that nothing's ever going to be the same. And then jump cut right to a normal day at Sunnydale High.
1: Yes. And everyone's talking about the night before and how they might have been on drugs or have rabies or stuff. And we (laughs) see those rationalizations again where, you know, everyone kind of forgets Mm -hmm. about the things that happen in Sunnydale.
0: The exact quote, and I love this quote um, that Giles gives, is people have a tendency to rationalize what they can and forget what they can't. And again, it's one of those lines that does so much with so little. Well, I
1: mean, it's true.
0: Yeah. It's true in real life and true in Buffy. (laughs) And then we have a lovely walk and talk with our, our four Scoobies. And um, Giles is excited about the next threat and and Buffy and Giles kind of balance out Willow and Xander where Buffy and Giles are are very experienced and nonchalant about all of the impending doom that's yet to come and Willow and Xander are kind of like, oh, there's going to be more of this? We thought it was over. This is a thing that's going to continue to happen, and of course, uh, we end with the three the three uh, students walking away from Giles, and Giles turns away and says the beautiful line, "I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you this opportunity."
1: The Earth is doomed.
0: The Earth is doomed.
1: <laughs> yes, love that line.
0: It's great. It's a great line. Yes. What always gets me when I go back and watch these first two episodes is how much. They, they really just, they got it. Like, all of the characters feel like the characters. The the group dyma- dynamics feel right. And you're just mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's that's Buffy. That's the show. And we talk about the awkwardness of the first season and how there's some episodes where you're just like, ooh, they're kind of hard to get through. But this two-parter opening, it, it's really the show. It's such a great foundation piece. It is. Piece. It is amazing. Another thing about the first season is the first season doesn't really... Like
1: weave in a a big bad that they're mm-hmm. working toward the mo most of the season. Yeah, um, there's a like lot. they're all they're all standalone episodes with their yeah. own big bad until like the last couple, and they're they're really fun to watch and really interesting, but you don't get as as invested that way. And then you know, season two, they don't do that until halfway through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think after that, every every season kind of starts working on its own own big, big bad at the end, pretty pretty much right away.
0: in some some ways more subtly <laughs> than others, but definitely there's always there, you feel like there's a more realized plan in all of the later seasons. The thing about season one, and we'll get into this in some of these one-off episodes, um, is I think that there's a lot of great concepts in season one. The execution may not always be the best. But I think it has some of the best examples of the the monsters in, in the world of Buffy are actually representations of the, the monsters that teenagers face. And I think that part, they really hit the nail on the head. But you're right, it doesn't really have that narrative arc throughout that, that makes the Master feel like he's an ever-present threat. He just mm-hmm. kind of pops up randomly and then they they... Dispatch with him in the very last episode of the season. All right. So I think that wraps us up for this very first episode of Flunking the Written. By the way, I uh, when I was working on the first part of this episode, I just used the initials and realized that our initials are FTW, which I was really excited about. Okay. Because <laughs> it also stands for For the Win. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. Gotcha.
0: <laughs> so... What? I was, I was appreciative of that uh, accidental uh, acronym we came up with. We uh, will be going over The Witch next week, which I am super excited about. Because believe it or not, I think Witch is my second favorite episode of season one. Really? Yeah. I really like Witch. I really like that episode a lot. Um, it's not one of my favorites.
1: <laughs> I do enjoy it, but uh, I'm, I'm going to have fun watching it again. I mean, there's very few episodes of buffy that actually i'm not sure there's any episodes of buffy that i'm ever like yeah i don't want to watch that i always want to watch one so even if i say one's not a favorite it doesn't mean i don't love it
0: oh yeah
1: there's just some i love way more
0: and i think i am in the the minority when i say that which is my second favorite episode of season one it's only surpassed by prophecy girl for me but i think it'll lead to an interesting conversation and i'm excited it should I'm excited about it too alright well thank y'all all all so much for listening we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to us ramble about our favorite show Buffy the Vampire Slayer and like we said we will be back again next week with episode 3 of season 1 which.
1: bye bye bye